If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to the Gospel of John, we've been doing a, a Advent series on God dwelling with us. Uh, we've been working our way through the Bible. It's the 18th of December, and we finally made it to the New Testament. Uh, we're going to see how powerfully God personally dwells with us. And really what we've been looking at is one of the most compelling storylines of the Bible. This Bible broken up of an Old and New Testament, this Bible consisting of 66 books who, who really tells this incredible one story of how God has loved us and rescued us through his son. And one of the most compelling storylines of this Bible is that God longs to dwell with his people. That God has created us for that. That Jesus has rescued us for that. And, and that he longs to be with us. That's why he created us in his image. I mean, scripture in the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1 is God is creating all things and speaking. He kind of stops what he's doing and creating. And he kind of brings a counsel to himself, uh, a triune God. And he says something amazingly deep and amazingly profound that none of us could lose. God himself says, let us, us, we're going to look at that. Us, let us make man in our own image. Man and woman, let, let us make them in our reflection. Let us make man and woman to, to be known and loved by God and to know and to love God. And even when the story quickly turns away from God, when, when man and woman rebelled against God and sin and, and death entered the, uh, the story, and we were literally ushered out of the presence of God, because one thing you must know about God, he's holy and he's without sin. And he, he, he can't dwell with sin. And so he had to, to drive us out of that, that paradise. You see, the Bible bookends this dwelling with God. It begins in paradise and it ends in paradise. And as we fell, the entire Bible from like Genesis 3 through Revelation 20 is how God personally pursued sinners like us. How God personally came after us so that we could dwell with him. So he would restore everything that was broken, that he would remove any condition that existed that kept us from dwelling with him. The Bible kind of progressively unfolds in this story. I, I mentioned it, it's bookend with dwelling with God in paradise. It starts off in a garden and it ends that we are in this beautiful new heavens and new earth. But God is going to come and he's going to continue to, to tabernacle with us. We've looked at that. We've looked at that when God's people were wandering in the wilderness and they were pitching a tent, trying to make their way to the promised land, having left slavery in Egypt, God says, you know what? I want to hang with you. I want to identify with you. Make me a tent. You got to understand this about God. It says in his scripture that he didn't abhor our weakness, that he knows the truth about us. He, he knows we're sinful. He knows we're not holy. And he didn't abhor that. As a matter of fact, his own son would be called a friend of sinners. And not only that, but he didn't abhor our condition. As we wander, he wanders too. As we're in a tent, he's in a tent. And when God's people finally made it to a promised land, God says, I want to be in that land too. Build me a temple. I'll place my name there. My unique presence will be there because I want to be with my people. And then this morning, the, the Christmas story is a God in flesh. God personally came. And again, you, if you're here, 
And my bet is, is you, you know this Christmas story, but until the personal God comes personally for you, you're away from the story. And my hope and prayer is that you realize that this personal God came for us so that personally we would be a part of that story. You see, Christmas is a celebration that God would come uh, personally and he put on flesh to be with us. He still doesn't abhor our weakness. So much so he wore our weakness. He put it on. He doesn't despise our condition. He enters into it and God walked among us. Christmas is that celebration of good news that produces great joy that God came personally to pursue sinners like you and me. We're going to get to John, the gospel of John. We're going to read John 1, 1 through 18. It's interesting. Uh, uh, the Bible has four books of the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, the first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are so called the synoptic gospels uh, by many. It's a way that they tell a similar story. But John, John has a unique voice. John tells the story uniquely. As a matter of fact, the birth account of Jesus are found really in, in two Gospels. Uh, the, the Gospel of Luke gives us the most detail about the birth of Christ and the actually the upbringing of Christ. The Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 1, tells us also about the birth of Christ. The, uh, the Gospel of Mark starts with the baptism of Christ and doesn't mention the birth narrative. But the cool thing about John, when you hear John being read, it's going to sound familiar if you've ever read Genesis. Because it's going to start the same way Genesis starts. In the beginning. And it's going to kind of give us a little bit more detail of what really happened in the beginning. Who was there and who created uh, all of that we see is created. And again, we see in this incredible gospel account of a God who longs to dwell with us. So let's hear the word of the Lord. I'm going to read John chapter one, verses one through 18. And the words will be in the bulletin in front of you, if you have that, or on the words behind me. Let's be mindful. God didn't give us this, these words to just entertain us. These are God's living and active words that he's given us to transform us, to give us new life and to make us more like his son. The word of the Lord, John one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it or did not understand it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that, at, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word, 
this eternal word became flesh and dwelt among us. And this, this Greek word is he tabernacled. He, he pitched a tent. He, he dwelled with us, this wonderful image that runs throughout scripture. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. The word of the Lord. You know, I messed that up last week. I said, I'm going to say that. And your response is going to be, praise be to God. And I did it in the early service. It was fantastic. The late service, I said we were going to do that. And I didn't do it. And several of you reminded me of that. Thank you very much. The early service, I said we're going to do it. I didn't do it. So I did it. And you guys weren't ready. So let's try it again. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. And Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we see in this text that your word has forever been with you, God, and is you, God. You are this eternal word made flesh, Jesus. And that you tell us in this text that no one has seen the Father, no one has seen God except for those whom you reveal him to through you. So God, the only way that we could see God this morning, the only way that we could hear from God this morning is if we hear and see Jesus. So God, would you come by the spirit of Christ and fill this place and speak through a broken sinner like me so that we, through the preaching and the hearing of your word, would have this incredible privilege of seeing our God seeing him by faith and knowing who he is and how he loves. God, give us ears to hear your voice. God, give us minds through the illumination of your spirit to to understand your word. Give us hearts to embrace your truth and your love. And God, to be with your people so powerfully that you would give us feet to walk in a manner worthy of your name, the name Jesus that is above every name. Father, the things that I say that are wrong are merely my opinion. May those things quickly be forgotten and fall away. But the things that are said that are true and contain the good news of the gospel of your son, would you use those things to make us more like him? We pray that you and you alone receive glory and we receive great joy and great challenge. In Christ's matchless name we pray. Amen. In your bulletin, you'll find an outline if you want to follow along with me this morning. We're going to look at three things about this God who dwells with us. We're going to see the eternally dwelling God. Uh, We're going to see a personally dwelling God and personally receiving our God. The first thing is this, eternally dwelling God. I love the way the gospel of John begins. It begins pointing us back uh, uh, to the beginning. It begins by telling us that that there's something so much more important that's happening than just the Christmas story. 
that there's this ancient, eternal dwelling relationship that God was involved in, that we are invited into, that eternally dwelling God, a, a Father, a Son, and Holy Spirit that have forever lived together in, in harmony and peace and joy. It was an all-sufficient dwelling as God dwelled together, a perfect dwelling. And it's that dwelling that we are invited into. Christmas, rightfully, is the celebration that God came to dwell with us. Per Christmas is rightfully the celebration that God put on flesh to come and to be with us. But we miss the depth of the story. We miss the totality of the Bible story if we don't see that there's something profoundly, beautifully more. That God would come to dwell with us, the word would put on flesh, that Jesus would walk among us so that we would be pulled into this relationship, that we'd be pulled into forever dwelling with God. That's the story of the Bible, that God dwells with his people. That's why he created us. That's why he created all things. It's, it's quite staggering to think about an eternal relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's quite mind-bowling, isn't it? I mean, it's one of those things that you could wrap your mind around and almost get lost in and it can almost terrify you of a God who has always been. But we ask the question, well, God, why would you, if you were perfectly in harmony and you had a relationship, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and a living triune God, why would you create anything? You didn't need anything because he wanted to share that relationship. He wanted to share his love. He wanted to share his glory. And that is why God made us in his image. He made us to dwell with him. He, he made us to be invited into the story. He, he made us to have a part of that relationship. Again, in, in Genesis 1, it's kind of staggering. He's, by the way, what did God use to create all things? What did he use? He spoke the word, right? The word was used that created all things. And John, the gospel of John now tells us that it's that word of God who created all things, that nothing was created apart from the second person of the triune God, the word in flesh. It's really cool how the Bible tells this incredible unifying story. But in the midst of him saying he created all things, he kind of pauses. He says, but, you know, he gathered in himself this counsel and says, let us, let us make man in our own image. He kind of invites us into this incredible dwelling relationship so that we could be known and loved, this community of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Christmas is a celebration that, that God would come in flesh. Why? So that we could be again dwelling with the Father, filled with the Holy Spirit. The Gospel of John is very interesting. It tells the story of Jesus from birth up until his last week in life and the first, 12, first 11 chapters. Chapter 12 through chapter 22 is all about the last week of his life. In the midst of that telling of that passion of Jesus, there's in John 17 found something called Jesus' high priestly prayer. It's a prayer that God has given us, that he is crying out to his father right before he goes to the cross to rescue sinners like us. And it's a beautiful prayer because we'll find in it that not only were we created in Genesis 1 to dwell with God, but Jesus' whole purpose of coming was so that we could be recreated, made new to dwell with him again. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to John chapter 17. John 17, I'm going to read and I'm going to jump into Jesus's high priestly prayer in verse 20 uh, and read through 25. 
If you don't have your Bibles, lean in and listen. It's an incredible prayer. And here's specifically a one I want you to listen for. What is Jesus requesting of the father at the end of his life? What is he longing for? It's to dwell with you and me. Listen to this. Jesus says, I don't ask for these only, but for those who will believe in me through their word. Now he's talking, thinking of the disciples. He's prayed for the disciples. And he's saying, hey, I'm not, I'm just not just praying for my, my disciples. I'm praying for all those who will believe in me, who will hear the gospel story. He's praying for you and he's praying for me. And this is what he says, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Did you hear that? That's so profound. I mean, God is praying. Christ is praying to his father saying, God, would you be in them? And would you be in the way you're in me? And there may there be a oneness so that the world will know that you would love me and send me uh, to, to rescue them. Verse 23, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. You hear this eternal relationship. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know you that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. There's this incredible, beautiful reality that God has eternally dwelled in a wonderful relationship that we are called into. Don't miss it. It's Christmas is more than just Jesus came in a manger to come dwell with us. No, no, he came to rescue us. And he came to rescue us so that we would forever be invited into the most glorious relationship ever, the relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. How in the world can that happen? Well, second point, Jesus would have to personally be the dwelling with us. Personally, he would have to come and fulfill all the requirements needed for us to dwell with the Holy God. The first thing is this, personal, uh, personally, Jesus would come and would be the temple incarnate. Uh, Jesus would come and personify the temple. The temple was a very important part of the, uh, the story of the Israelites. I mean, that's a place where God dwelled. And it was incredible. So when Jesus put on flesh and walked among us, it says he templed among us. And Jesus really upset a lot of religious people. Because he acted as if he personally was the temple. I mean, that he personally was the place where God's glory was seen. It said in John 1.14 that God, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we all beheld the glory of the son, the glory of God. And so Jesus would walk around and say, well, I'm the place where God glories dwells. That I'm the place where God and man meet. The temple was a place where holy God and sinful man would have a, a high priest mediator so that they could relate to one another. Jesus says, I'm that high priest. I'm the place where God and, and, and man meet. 
The temple was the place where a sacrifice or an atonement for sin was made. Because people knew that they were messed up. People knew that they were broken. They heard the story that this God was holy and without sin. And they knew that you don't just go walking into God's presence. And so God set up a system that he wanted to dwell with us. But if we're going to dwell with him, we better make sure you bring something to butcher. You better bring some blood to be spilled because you just don't stroll into holy God's presence without a sacrifice. And Jesus says, hey, by the way, that temple, it all pointed to me. That's nothing more than a sign. That's nothing more than a symbol. I'm the place. He, He had the audacity. He says, I'm the sacrifice. In John 1, John would say, behold, the Lamb of God. He's the one who takes away the sins of the world, not that temple. He's the one who takes away our sins personally by becoming our sacrifice. He's the one who declares that we are forgiven. Jesus had this way of of walking the earth and he would start proclaiming to people that their sins were forgiven. Read the gospel stories. It's quite almost humorous that they weren't even asking for their sins to be forgiven. They might've been asking for something else. And yet usually the first thing he always did was proclaim, by the way, your sins are forgiven. The reason they picked up stones to kill him was because they knew that he was equating himself with God and they knew that he was equating himself with the temple. And they're like, who are you? We are only declared not guilty because the Passover lamb has been sacrificed for us. The day of atonement, that's how we are declared not guilty. He said, no, no, it's, it's me in flesh. There's a story of uh, four friends who loved their friend, this paralytic who couldn't get off a mat and they wanted to get him to Jesus, but it was too crowded. And it was so an incredible crowd that they actually had to dig through the roof to, to lower down Jesus. And I love to think about how they had to coordinate that. I mean, I just can picture so vividly carrying their friend and, and seeing, oh man, it's too crowded. Oh, let's go up to the roof. Great idea. Let's get up to the roof. And uh, who brought the shovel? Let's dig our way down through and let's coordinate a, an effort to, to lower him down. And so they create this hole. They get Jesus coming down into uh, this, this broken man coming into Jesus's presence. Jesus looks up and here's the first thing he says, seeing their faith, your sins are forgiven. They're probably thinking, well, wait a minute, Jesus, we came here to this guy would walk. Uh, Really nice of you. Your sins are forgiven. But they see, because he was the place of sacrifice, because he was a place that had the power and the authority of God, he had the ability to even declare your sins are forgiven. You see, what it's telling us is this, is that Jesus and Jesus alone, by being the place where God dwells, by being that sacrifice, has qualified sinners like us to be in his presence. He would say things like this, you know, destroy this temple in three days, I'll raise it up, it'll be raised up. And they're like, oh, what are you talking about? The temple, it took us like 50 years to build it. He says, I am that temple. I am that place. But there's more. The second thing is that Jesus personally had to come to rescue us. He personally had to qualify us as that temple to dwell with him. He personally had to make us fit for a relationship with our triune God. Now, I want you to hit st- stop and say, okay, here's what I want to say to you. God, holy God, wants to dwell with you forever. What do you think about that? Now, I would bet on the surface, you say, great, God loves me. He wants to dwell with me. But I want, I want you to think about this a little bit deeper. Holy, sinless, 
God wants you in his presence. I think if we think about this and the reality of our own lives, it it should scare us a bit, maybe even scare us to death. What in the world are we going to be able to do in holy God's presence? You see, Jesus would come to knock down every barrier. He knows that you didn't live the life you were supposed to live. That's, That's why he had to come, born of a virgin. That's why he had to be obedient to the Father. That's why he had to do everything that we failed to do. You got to understand this about holy God. Someone had to meet the mark. Someone had to. He couldn't maintain his holiness and his mercy without someone meeting the mark. And that's what Jesus did. He came and he met the mark. He lived that perfect life. But he also did more. He, he died an atoning death. You see, we've been looking at this God dwelling with his people. And we kept on saying, but God can't dwell with us if he doesn't deal with sin. And Jesus came to personally deal with our sin. He came to live the sinless life, but right for this, he came to be our sin. And the incredible thing on the cross is that, that Jesus, the righteous one, would, would become your sin. He would become my sin. The, the wrath of holy God was, was placed on him in its fullness. So the grace and love of God could be placed on us in its fullness too. You see, Jesus as the temple, Jesus as a spotless lamb, had to personally come to personally qualify us to dwell with him. He dealt with not just our sin, he also dealt with our shame. I mean, the reason that he hung naked on a cross, the reason he hung and he was disgraced that he he was, was is to pay that penalty, but to deal with the shame. You know, the last couple of months, uh, I've been seeing a, a counselor that's helping me deal with the reality that I, I love being transparent about the fact that I'm weak. I mean, to me, transparency is noble. Yeah, well, you know, I'm, I'm a broken guy. But weakness, weakness is not noble. Weakness is something I, I, I loathe. That I hate the fact that I don't have it all figured out. I hate the fact that I can't keep it all together. I hate the fact that I'm such a mess. You know what that is? It's shame. I live with some shame, and I know that many of you do as well, that, gosh, we just can't seem to get it right. And what I've noticed is that when shame is exposed in my life, those are fighting words. When I'm, when I'm exposed, especially by those I love, and, and what's being exposed is my weakness, oh, man, I want to fight. Because I don't want anybody to know the truth. And Jesus came to say, listen, I've come not just to deal with your sin. I've come to deal with your shame. Because I love the broken and I love the weak. And Paul will tell us that we need to boast in the weakness that drives us to Jesus. It's incredible because I love the gospel. I I love drinking this gospel. It tells me I'm forgiven and free. But where I got to go and say, but I know I'm still broken and weak. But he qualified me. He hung naked on a cross so that even my shame was dealt with. Eternally dwelling God, he calls us into it. Personally dwelling God, he qualifies it for us. But lastly, personally receiving our God. He personally came to dwell with us, but we have a personal response to him. This passage in John, it's quite scary in many ways. 
It says that this word put on flesh and dwelled among us. He created everything in him is life. You're not going to have life apart from a relationship with Christ. In him is light. You're not going to have light in your life apart from a relationship with Christ. You just can't do it. But there's more that we have to personally receive it. It says he came to his own. He's primarily talking to the Jewish folks. That he came to his own and his own said, you know what? No, this isn't our Messiah. Messiahs don't die on a cross. Messiahs aren't born in a manger. Messiahs aren't sons to a carpenter. Messiahs aren't like this. There's got to be another one. They've missed it. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. They wanted something different, something better than what Jesus had to offer. But there's this beautiful word in verse 12 that says this, but, but, listen, but to all those, but to all those who did receive him, to those who received him by believing in his name, believing that he is God's son, he is the word in flesh, he is the long-awaited Messiah. To those who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. He gave them the right to dwell in God's family. He gave them the right to life and life abundantly. To those who just received him and believed in him by his grace. He brought into the family. Those who would say this is the Messiah. Yes, his name is Jesus. He came to save his people. You see, I would imagine that every one of you knows the Christmas story. At least you've heard it this morning. You probably, most everyone here and most everybody in the world will believe in Jesus. It's hard not to believe in Jesus. I mean, there's, there's just too much really evidence that there was a man named Jesus who lived some 2,000 years ago. I mean, I think about everyone, atheists, agnostics, Christians, Muslims, everyone's going to believe in a Jesus. So the question is, how do we receive and how do we believe? Because scripture will say the demons believe and they shudder, but they're certainly not saved. So those who have the right to become the children of God, those are the ones who have personalized the story. Those are the ones who say that Jesus personally became that temple for me. Jesus personally became my sin. He personally bore my shame. He personally made me new. And I've received that by God's grace through faith. And I've placed my hope and trust in him. How is it with you this morning? Do you believe in a Jesus story that's kind of out there? Or do you believe in a Jesus story that has transformed you in here? It says this, it says, listen, this is being born, not of, not of the flesh or the will of man. This is being born again. This is being given new life because you've come to the place saying, I've embraced Christ as my Lord and Savior. And I've been made new. If you haven't, my hope and prayer is today would be the day. Today would be the day that you would give embrace God's greatest gift. I would imagine that most of you have. Most of you probably come to that place. But let me remind you that who we are now, we are now the temple of God. We are now the place where God's glory is to be seen. We are now the place where God's story is to be told. 
Let me take you back to that prayer that Jesus prayed, that high priestly prayer. He prayed for unity. He prayed for oneness. And he says, the glory you gave me, we saw that in John 1.14, I am giving them. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put my glory in them so that we could be one and the world can see you through us. For our oneness to be with God is we got to deal with that sin. We got to repent and believe. We got to move toward him and not away from him. But let me encourage you, the faith as small as a mustard seed is something that he honors and loves and blesses. How is it with you? Have you received the personalized, incredible gospel message as Christ is your Lord and Savior? If you have, you now are the personalized temple story of God for the world to know and see Jesus. Don't be afraid. He loves the broken. He loves the weak. It's not about your gifts and strengths. It's about his glory and the work of his son. And all we have to do is hang on tight to the God who rescued us to say, by God's grace, I believe. And this story is mine. Let us pray. Jesus, the word, eternal word, who has forever been with God and forever will be with God because you are forever God. Incredibly in the fullness of time that you would put on flesh, that you would tabernacle and dwell with us. You would personally come and be the temple. You would personify all that the temple pointed to and all that the temple represented. Why? So that we could forever dwell with you. So sinners like us, because of your Death and resurrection can be declared not guilty and our sins forgiven. Jesus, thank you for personally coming to personally qualify us to personally dwell with you. And God, I pray for any person who is yet to make this personal, that maybe it's a story out there that it would become a story inside each one of us that we all could have the joy of being born not of the flesh or the will of man, but of God and the spirit. God, it's, it's, it's really crazy to think that you want to tell your story through us, that we're to go tell it on the mountain, that Jesus Christ is born. Because now we as your children are the dwelling place of God. Would you come and would you cause us to be more like Christ so the world can beautifully see the love story that you're telling through the broken like us. We pray in Christ's name, amen.